Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey folks, about 10 years ago, I was buried under a mountain of debt. I remember the sleepless nights, waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning, running the numbers in my head. How the hell am I going to get out from under all of this debt? I, of course, pulled the trigger. I, I did the nuclear option of Chapter 7. But you know what? You don't have to. All you need is Lightstream. So did you know that refinancing your credit card balances can lower your interest rate and save you money, and you don't have to be a financial expert in order to do it? Here's exactly how. With Lightstream, you can roll your cards into one low payment at a fixed rate as low as 4.98% APR with auto pay and excellent credit. That's way lower than most credit cards. Look at your credit card state. I bet it's lower than the interest rate you're paying right now. Plus, you can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and there are absolutely no fees. In fact, the application is 100% online, and you can even get your money in your bank account as soon as the day you apply. And now, just for you, apply now and get a special interest rate discount to save even more. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Seska. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash C-E-S-C-A. Link in the description under this episode at bobseska.com. Subject to credit approval, rates range from 4.98% APR to 19.99% APR and include a 0.50 auto pay discount. Lowest rate requires excellent credit terms and conditions apply and Offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Seska for more information. And now let the cartoons begin. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, April 13, 2022, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, day 450 of the Biden-Harris administration, 207 days until the 22 midterms. I'm on Instagram, the Bob Seska, Twitter, Bob Seska underscore go. You know the drill. Uh, last week, we got interrupted with horrible, horrible news about Eric Bollert. So this week, Travis Bone, the executive producer of The Stephanie Miller Show, returns to pick up exactly where we left off. It's all about comic book movies today, the Marvel Universe, the DC Extended Universe, Star Wars, Star Trek. And speaking for myself, I absolutely need a break from the existential badness of our politics, not to mention the awful news about Eric last week. 
So get ready to go full nerd today with me and Travis. And by the way, links in the description under this episode to support Travis on social media. Meantime, think about supporting this show by signing up for our bonus content at bobseskashow.com. Okay, here's me and Travis having some fun. Fun Bob Seska. <laughs> The fact that there was that serious news from last week gives us even more impetus to talk about the bullshit we're going to talk about this week. You know what? I 100% agree. I I need this. I know. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes, yes. So uh, if it hadn't been for Will Smith, there's something else that happened at the Oscars that people would have been screaming about, but it kind of got erased from the conversation. Did you notice that the release the Snyder Cut movement spammed the cheerworthy category and the crowd favorite category? The Oscars tried something new where they did a call-in like audience-generated yes. award. And in both cases, the release the Snyder Cut people completely overtook both of those polls. I mean, yeah. I, I loved Zack Snyder's Justice League, but I got to say... The oh, come speed, on. <laughs> the, the speed force scene was not the most cheerworthy movie of all time. It just No. <laughs> you know it's funny um when they announced that awards category uh Dylan who my husband he went to film school, he works in the industry, he buys like independent movies for distribu- distribution for all the for companies and stuff like that's literally what he does. And when they first announced that they were going to do this you know, fans choice thing. He's like, oh, that's what the people's choice awards are for. The Oscars are for highlighting quality, you know, going above and beyond, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and like you said, I mean, I, I'm all for cheering. I mean, like, I, like I even thought like that, like I get like when they showed like the Spider-Man one, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's legit. The three Spider-Man swinging. That was a pretty awesome moment in the movie theater and people did cheer. Yeah. But you know what? People, people cheered in dirty dancing when he lifted her over his head. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you know, people cheered in Top Gun. Mm-hmm. You know, people cheered in these other movies. It's like, I mean, like really, the Flash entering the Speed Force. You've yeah, gotta be kidding me. I know, I know. And the weird thing about it is, it wasn't an actual award, so it was more no. like just a poll question. So for some yeah. reason, Oscars, the Oscars are now doing poll questions. Yeah, they just decided that this yeah. is good. this is how we're going to be young and hip. We're going to let the Twitter. Twitterverse yeah. decides who awards. And, and the funny thing was, was it was neck and neck on the, um, the, the fans choice for best mi- picture. Cause it was army of the dead that won. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But it, the other one that was like in high contention was that damn Cinderella movie that was on Amazon, which I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't. We watched it. <laughs> really? What was it like? What was it? What, was it any good? It's terrible. <laughs> it is so terrible yeah it's um it's like they took cinderella and they tried to overlay this like independent woman on it like she's a dress designer and she's gonna do this and like and she doesn't want to marry a prince but then she meets and accidentally falls in love with the prince Mm -hmm. and it was all like modern day pop music like the opening number when they're showing the town like the impoverished town everyone's working they're singing rhythm nation yeah yeah it was ridiculous and i mean we kind of like hate watched it for lack of a better word <laughs> but i can see how like if you are a family with little kids yeah oh totally little little, little kids would have just eaten that up 
Yeah, and you know what? Going back to what you were saying about Army of the Dead, I forgot that that won, what was it, the, the crowd favorite category. That yeah, particular it was like the question. fan's choice or whatever. Yeah, not, it, and you know yeah. why? You know why it was Army Zach of the Dead? Snyder. Well, there's that, but Zack Snyder's Justice League didn't qualify for that category. So in lieu of Zack Snyder's Justice League, all of the release the Snyder Cut people voted for army of the dead as I kind of figured that's what it was that it was his army. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just, it was such a weird moment because as someone who observes this every day, uh, reading all the latest news from this entire genre of filmmaking and, and shows and whatnot, I knew what was going on. And so it was like glaringly obvious to me. And I was kind of shocked that there wasn't more outrage after the fact. Like, oh my God, here goes those sycophants with the release the Snyder Cut movement. But you know what? The Oscars put a poll out into the field where the anyone did could that to respond. Themselves. Yes, exactly fucking right. <laughs> yeah, they did that, that to themselves. Yep, yep. I was going to yep. say, as, as Aisha Tyler would say, that's a self-inflicted wound. <laughs> yeah, it was. And so what do you expect? The team yeah. that's the most motivated is going to get their movie elevated to the number one slot. And that's just, it's kind of similar to politics. It's kind of similar insofar as there are artificially inflated things just because the fan base is so motivated and rabid. And so we saw that uh, happen at the Oscars too. I mean, I would say that's how we got Trump and that's how Marjorie Taylor Greene is like fundraising for her little district in in Georgia. Yeah. And good luck with that. Good luck with that comparison, Travis, because now all the release, the Snyder cut people are saying, are you comparing us to the Trump fans? Are you seriously saying we're MAGAs? I'm not saying that they're MAGAs, but I'm saying if you're MAGA, you might have liked the Snyder cut. The, the, yeah, well, I I loved I loved it. I <laughs> but I no, but, that's, but it's not exclusive. It's not right. exclusive. I see. Yeah, yeah. No, I just I because there is like a um, there is a crazy um right wing MAGA kind of militia movement that was obsessed with the Dark Knight. Oh yeah, right. You know there there is that. I mean, and I know that's not a Zack Snyder film, but there is that that piece of the 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 MAGA militia movement that is kind of obsessed with these anti like the not anti-hero but they're they're obsessed with these dark movies like mm-hmm. um the dark knight uh rambo they all think that they're rambo in in the original first blood right. movie yeah you yeah. know taking it, on law enforcement and everything else so there 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 is that element out there in, in society and, and by the way there's also a huge maga contingent in the brony culture which blows my mind away <laughs> that's insane hey in fact yeah. i mean going back to the Zack snyder movies I know for a fact that Ben Shapiro loved Zack Snyder's Justice League. He also loved Batman v Superman, which I also yeah. I love the uh, Ultimate Edition of that movie. And so it's weird having crossover in movie tastes with mm-hmm. someone as loathsome as Ben Shapiro. My God, yes, yeah. It temporarily made me want to rethink my enjoyment of those movies, but I was like, well, you know, it's subjective. I like what I like, and ultimately, it's harmless because we're just talking about movies here, right? Well, it's also kind of like what you imprint on the movie itself. Because sure. I, I remember, um, I think I may have said this in one of our previous podcasts. I remember um, back when he was alive, Rush Limbaugh talking about the Hunger Games movies <laughs> and how he was comparing, he's like, oh, well, the capital is like Washington, D.C., where Obama is, and they're all the elites and they control everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the working class people are fighting to uprise. And I'm like, no, it's the it's the rich people, which is the Republican part. You know, like yeah. we imprint on these movies what we need and want to see, mm-hmm. and that's that's part of the beauty of them, and that's part of the um, 
the problem. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm beginning to think we're starting to segue into the topic of your new podcast. <laughs> so I don't want to. That, that's uh, let me know. Get, I, I, the, the, these are things that we're going to get into on, on mine. So yeah, no, you're 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 absolutely right. I'm and I'm I am working on it. I have one interview I want to do so I can get this test episode done. Yeah. Um. It's it's a name person though, so I want to make sure I can get her to do it. I'm just going to say that, that it's it's a her that I'm trying to get. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I'm. And I'm not going to say anything more than that. In my head, I'm starting to. Predict I'm starting to think of names that could possibly fit that qualification. Yeah, but I just didn't want to step on your toes because I was oh, no, 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 no. I was about to say too that it always confounds me when I see conservatives express their love of Star Trek. And yeah. I don't know how to square that in my head because Star Trek is intrinsically a liberal social justice kind of show. It oh, always it's so has progressive. Been. Yeah. yeah. So it's, how, how do you explain it? How do you thread that needle if you're a conservative? You know, it's weird. I don't, I, I don't know of conservatives who are into Star Trek, so I can't, I, I, I can't speak to them specifically. And I'm trying to wrap my head around what it is about Star Trek that's appealing to them. Maybe that they like the fact that, you know, Captain Kirk is kind of like this gung ho you know, yeah. man of action. Right. Right. You know, kind of, you know, he's got some big dick energy when I guess they could compare that to Trump. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Is it maybe the new shows? I mean, I stumbled onto a YouTube channel where a guy was talking about one of the episodes of Picard and he was kind of criticizing the fact that they were making statements about the climate crisis. And I believe it was episode two or three of the latest. Yeah. Season the of most Picard. recent ones. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, if you're a conservative, what the hell are you doing watching Star Trek, especially the next generation, uh, yeah. the, the series of movies, of course, and then this Picard series? They're yeah. still just as left leaning as the original next generation series. Why the hell are you watching this if you just if you know you're going to hate the politics of it? That's like one of the centerpieces of Star Trek. And Picard is like, I mean, like that show is like almost to a point where even I'm like, okay, calm down guys. We're doing a, we're doing a storyline about um, ice detainees <laughs> yeah. and people. I'm like, I'm like, calm down. It's like, it, it, <laughs> I'm woke, but it's like at the same time, I go on. Okay. You really, really want to shoehorn a message in this episode, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, wait, did I lose you? Yeah. Oh, wait, are you caught up on this? Am I oh, you, no, no, I'm totally caught up in Picard. In fact, yeah. there's lots more that I have to say about Picard. So yeah, I just, <laughs> I just, continue, it yeah. just like that to me felt so on the news, but then, but at the same time, like I go back to like, um, I, I don't know. I like what I like about sci-fi is when it's like, it's more of the allegory and it's like, you're able yeah. it's, as opposed to beating you over the head with the, mm. the storyline. It's like, they kind of like slide it in there. Like, um, I think you and I talked about, or briefly last week when we were getting ready for last week's, I'm asked if you had been watching um, Discovery. Yeah. And there was an episode in season three, um, trying to say how this, there's like a time jump between season two and season three. Okay. And they, they're in the distant future now. Like, Interesting. They've gone way, way far into the future. Mm. And they're like, well, where are we? What's going on? Well, we don't know. Let's try to get back to earth. So they go, they get back to earth and there's like a protective shield around earth. And they're like, no, 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 you're from outside. You're not welcome here anymore. You're, and they're like, no, no, we're, we're humans. We're, we've come back. And like, oh no, no, we don't take, um, we don't take refugees from other planets. Ah, Stay out there. I see what they're doing. They, they, and so like earth, that is earth like built that wall, didn't it? Earth built the wall. And it was kind of like, <laughs> oh, and it's like, wait a minute. These people are from your history. So like that, that, that kind of comparison. Mm -hmm. And so like, they did like a two season arc about like, 
putting Starfleet back together and getting Earth back into it and kind of like resetting the universe. And that's um, where people lost their minds when Stacey Abrams showed up at the end of this season as the, the president of the United Earth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that should have tipped off some of the conservatives who watch Star Trek as to yeah. what the politics are. If you haven't gotten it so far... The appearance of Stacey Abrams is pretty much uh, uh, hitting the home run. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was a, a great, um, during the, the 2020 election, Yeah, remember how they did all the fundraisers where they'd bring in celebrity panels and you pay to like to watch it and they'd have people involved? Well, they did a Star Trek one. Mm-hmm. And it was, I kid you not, like the the people there, it was like, it was Patrick Stewart, um, uh, uh, um I'm not even gonna, I'm gonna, uh, Gates McFadden from Next Generation. Um, wow. Uh, is it uh, Maria Sirtis, the um, counselor Troy? Yes. Um, uh, Sulu, um, George Takai, mm-hmm. um, a bunch of people from the new, sh- um, uh, um, a bunch of people from Discovery, um, several people from Picard as, a, as well. Wow. I and mean, it was just, it was so fun and refreshing to hear them all talking about politics. Uh, Kate Mulgrew <laughs> from Voyager oh, yeah, was yeah. in it. Um, Robert Picardo from Voyager too. What did, what, just, did, what did Mulgrew say? Because I've heard that she's kind of conservative, that she- No. Oh, really? She was very, very, I, it's, you know, it's been so long, so I, I, I'm sorry, I can't like put my finger on it, but she was really, really liberal. Holy shit. Okay. Well, I stand corrected because we watched the entirety of Orange is the New Black, and I really loved her in that series, but Kimberly keeps whispering in my ear, you know, she's MAGA, right? And I was like, what do you- Are she, is she no? That can't be, can it? No, she's no. She was she was so cool and so with it on this, and like just the things that she was talking about, you could tell that she was no. She was the real deal. Wow. Okay. And you know, and you know who applies better insight on this one is um, Carlos Alzraki because his daughter Riley is on the cartoon Star Trek Prodigy that Kate Mulgrew does a voice on. Oh, that's right. I knew so that. Degree of separation. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit. And he said that he said that she is super, super, super nice. He, lo- he loves her. Riley loves her. Oh, that's such a relief. I'm so glad to hear yeah. it. In fact, I want to stop the show and go run over and tell Kimberly, ah, she's not a MAGA. Kate, Kate Mulgrew <laughs> is one of us. Yeah, that's so good. She's to on hear. our team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, she was, she was great. She was, um, yeah, it, it was the, the person who like cracked me up the most was counselor Troy. She was mm-hmm. so animated. Yeah. And so just ripping on mm-hmm. Donald Trump. It was hilarious. And she has like that, that, that kind of like that British accent too. So it just makes it even more fun to hear oh, her talk yeah, about it. Yeah. God, I had a huge crush on her in college when I was watching the next generation while it was, you know, running in its first run. And, uh, every strike I had a crush, a crush on her, <laughs> every strike I had yeah. a crush on her. Yeah. I think that was part of the point of casting her, but she, you know, she turned in some great performances. I mean, she often gets oh, yeah. slagged in that series as, as being sort of window dressing, but I always enjoyed the Counselor Troy uh, centered episodes. Maybe not yeah. necessarily the ones with Waxana Troy, which were always kind of weird and silly, but. Yeah, when uh, mom shows up. <laughs> yeah. But there were a few of those that were even pretty good. But nevertheless, uh, you're exactly right about allegory. It works a lot better when it's uh, a little more vague and not necessarily on the nose. I mean, usually it's kind of. It's pretty close to being on the nose, going back yeah. even to the original series. But now, and this is one of my gripes with Picard, it's just like, it's, I think the Red Letter Media guys called it Star Trek slop. Because it's like, the writers and Alex Kurtzman are just taking 
like references and just throwing them into a blender and hitting puree and then out mm-hmm. comes an episode of Picard. And it's not very subtle in terms of the allegory. And not that we necessarily need it to be super duper subtle. I mean, I'm not trying to say that we need to dis- disguise the message. What I'm saying is here, there's a middle ground. There's sort of a, a mean level of uh, messaging that should go on in these shows. And with Picard, it's more like beating you over the head. It's basically showing you uh, exactly what you need to think about these particular issues. Um, And that isn't even the biggest problem with the show. But suffice (laughs) to say, it's one of them. It's up there, right? Yeah, no, it's... I like Picard just because it's like it's like this warm blanket that you kind of want to wrap yourself that up in. That is true. Yes, yes. And and just getting Patrick Stewart and is one of my friends was telling me who's really deep into Star Trek that that they filmed this season and the third season con- concurrently. Uh huh. And that's it. They're ending the show after three seasons. Right. And there was huge news about season three. And those of you who are trying to keep the spoilers away from yourself, you know, you might want to skip ahead about 15, I don't know, 20 seconds or so. But yeah, there's big news that season three is going to feature the entire main cast of the next generation. I think minus Will Wheaton, but he wasn't part of the main cast. He was on, you know, sort of a tangential character, side character. Yeah. He left after fairly early. Midway through the run, it seems like. Yeah, and my reaction to that was immediately, please don't suck, please don't suck. (laughs) Because I've been pretty disappointed in, uh, I was certainly disappointed in season one. Started out really promisingly. Season two started out really promisingly. But I mean, with season one, it started out promisingly and then went into just absolute fucked up weirdness by the end with the butterflies and the trans-dimensional yeah. beings and all that stuff and the the planet of androids and and it was just uh, it was just it got so weird it was like they're making up as as they went along they didn't really have a a roadmap for where they were going and if they did oh my god it was a terrible roadmap and then yeah. this season seems to be suffering from the same problem where it starts out and man that first episode i was really excited like okay they're on track the main We're characters are back in starfleet and they resurrected a, or what was it a, a refit of the stargazer or new version yeah. of this that was that's where it started to get confusing <laughs> in fact that's where the yeah. started to go off the rails because it was unclear whether the stargazer was a refit of picard's stargazer or whether it was an all new Stargazer. A new ship with the name. Yeah, it's like the the writers didn't quite know what the meaning of the word refit is, <laughs> you know. So yeah. we it was a little confusing as to what that was, but that's uh, that's kind of how it started. It kind of started where you feel really good about it, and then episode two of season two is where they started to lose me, and I I know exactly when it was, Travis. It was. First of all, I don't know why, um, oh, what's her name? I'm, I'm blanking on the character. I don't know why she was so upset about Elnor getting killed. I, I don't know if there was an established relationship between, shoot, I can't think of it. She was, she was, she's the new a, number one. Yeah, she was vaping um, in season one. Who was that? God, I can't remember the name I, of the I, character. I'm blanking on her name right now. Hang on one second. I, 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 I want to look it up someone. <laughs> okay, but I by feel the like way, an idiot, I, yeah. Rafi, um, Rafi, we're talking about Rafi. Rafi. What God? What? Yes, I got it. I kept wanting to say Rios, and it's not. It's not no, Cristobal Rios. It's Rafi. Okay, gotcha. Rafi. She, the actress who plays him, 
plays her, I'm sorry, yeah. did an interview with Jonathan Delarco on his podcast called um, Hollywood Caucus. I would mm-hmm. recommend that episode to okay. everyone to listen to. It, it She has the best stories about um, black women and hair, her father being uh, in the in the army in the um, during World War II mm-hmm. and liberating the concentration camps. Um, wow. And then, um, and then she was one of the reoccurring extras on the Cosby show who played one of, um, I believe it was Denise's friends. Oh, I had no idea. Wow. That's she great. was reoccurring on that show. It was like one of her very first acting gigs. And she has stories about Cosby and him inviting her to his, to his dressing room and how she wow. said that she would not do that again. And then she was no longer asked to come back as a regular on the show. Holy shit. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. anything about that. But of course, the story is is corroborated by so many other women. Right. It, it, it just it's it's just it's a it's it's a great interview. If you like the actress, I would recommend that. Yeah. So yeah. much. And this I mean, this came out like a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I didn't understand why Rafi was so upset about Elnor being killed when Picard was hardly upset at all. And Picard was the one who was closest to Elnor. And so yeah, that was, it that felt was like, confusing. Yeah. It, it felt like the story missed a beat and wasn't he assigned to her ship? Wasn't he going to be? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if there had been some sort of relationship that developed between them in the span, the, the gap between the two seasons, but we were never privy to that. And it, it just makes it seem very, um, half-assed yeah it, it was kind of shoehorned in there we didn't have any impression from season one that there was a relationship between those two but then right. that but then it got worse because after that once they slingshotted around the sun which we've seen a million times in star trek before uh landed on earth in 2024 in order yeah. to fix the timeline it's the same thing that we saw in or it's a similar thing that we saw in star trek uh Four, I Four. believe it was, yeah. with the whales. The Voyage Home. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's a similar premise. We've got to fix something in the past in order to save the future. And so that's what they do, and then they end up landing in Labar, France, where Picard is from, and mm-hmm. there's this whole discussion that takes place on Rios's ship about interfering with the timeline. So make sure, it was a, several things, make sure you don't get seen Make sure you don't get injured and end up in a hospital and make sure you hang on to your technology because you don't want anything to be the butterfly effect in this mission and trigger a a whole new timeline or changes in the timeline, et cetera. These are super important and they really emphasize this. (laughs) Plus, they were able to transport from Labar, France to L.A., when I thought the entire ship was disabled to the point where they had no working medical hologram, they had nothing, they had no replicators, nothing that they could actually use to help Elnor uh, seconds earlier. So suffice to say, there are all these rules about interfering with the timeline. They transport to LA, and what happens immediately? (laughs) Seven of Nine is recognized right away by a little girl who says, are you a superhero? And she says, yes, I'm a superhero. But the funniest one was... When Rios transports to L.A., like seconds later, he yeah. lands like halfway on a fire escape for some reason, yep. falls off falls. the fire escape, lands on his head on the sidewalk, is immediately spotted, taken to a hospital. A kid gets his communicator, his comm badge. Yeah. And so it's like all the, the discussion of they the rules that rule. we just had. Yes, you just broke all the goddamn rules. <laughs> 
like, well, and I mean, is and that intentional it, to make them look that incompetent? Was that the idea? If it was, you know, fine, but I don't think it was. I don't know. And then, well, like you said, in, in addition to the, like him getting hurt, the com badge and all that stuff. Yeah. Then at, at the same time, you've got seven saying, yeah, I'm a superhero. And then <laughs> you find out like five minutes later that Rafi's brought her phaser with her <laughs> yeah. to steal a car. And they're like, oh, well, we got the tricorder too. <laughs> exactly. And then we get into a car chase and then we're, t- we're they, they get the transporters conveniently working just when they need them. Right. Yeah. They get the transports back working and they transport them out of the car. So these people disappear out of a car while they're surrounded by cops. <laughs> I know. And so they, like, yeah. And they didn't have to steal that cop car, by the way. No, that was just no. a thing. It's like, okay, let's have an action scene here. So let's have them steal this cop car for no particular reason whatsoever. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so- being in LA, LA local, it's always funny to me to watch them film in LA areas and be like, oh yeah, I know exactly where the, oh, they've, they basically filmed this entire sequence at the LA Convention Center. Yeah, yeah. I think they've got a lot of potential for future shows with some of these characters. I, I think uh, Rafi is really compelling. I think Rios is one of the breakout characters of the series. Yeah. And I would love to see more about Rios. But I would love to see him go back as being the captain of the Stargazer and get into some traditional sort of Starfleet missions. And, and maybe at some point in the future, we can kind of get back to Star Trek storytelling where each story is generally contained within one episode. I mean, there are obviously yeah. some two-parters in there in the past uh, and some season-long arcs that they've extended through the episodes. But usually you have a beginning, middle, and end contained within a one-hour show. And that'd be yeah. fun to get back into that as well. Okay, short break. Don't nobody move. Back with more show right after this. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. More fun, more music, the Bob Seska Show. So, uh, as I said, season three, it's going to be, spoilers, the entire main cast coming back. I just, I hope they don't bungle this. I hope they do something that uh, doesn't involve the Borg or Q or, I I hope they do something really interesting that we haven't seen before, basically. Worthy of the show. Yeah, something that harkens back to the older, the old days of uh, Next Generation. But, um, and as you said- Speaking of, are you going to, are you going to watch, are you familiar with Strange New Worlds? Uh, you know what? That is really intriguing to me, um, partly because I love that they embraced more or less the aesthetic of the original series. Yeah. I think that looks interesting. Uh, and it just it looks like it's fun Star Trek. And it's getting back to, like you said, the older. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to explore and get to go see new planets and do things and uh, strange new worlds. So literally. Right. Right. New life and new civilizations. It's going to get back to the idea of what Star Trek was at the beginning. And I think that's a great idea. Yeah, it really is. And so that's what I'm definitely going to check out. I haven't really embraced uh, discovery or the animated shows yet, but you know, I, I will eventually check them out just cause I love uh, star Trek. Here's the thing. I don't know if you've seen it yet though. The best star Trek series on television 
is actually a non-Star Trek series. And it's produced by Ronald D. Moore. Uh, Kimberly and I have been talking about it on the After Party quite a bit. It's called For All Mankind. And it is a wonderful, wonderful series. And you can see how it's set up as being sort of the early uh, space race days of what would eventually become Star Trek. So it's an alternative history that starts with the inciting incident of this alternative history is the Soviets get to the moon first. Yeah. And that perpetuates a more competitive space race throughout the 70s into the 80s. And that creates, obviously, a greater drive to advance the space exploration more quickly than it actually was in real history. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in this particular series, and For All Mankind, they establish a, a base on the moon in the 80s. Uh, which we still don't have. In fact, they're just now yeah. starting to work on establishing a base. I think the Artemis mission is going to have. A, they're they're a giving moon some work on that. It seems like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the next uh, season, spoiler warning, that's going to be uh, Mars. I think. Okay. So so anyway, it's really compelling from a character point of view. You get a really uh, well-rounded uh, bit of storytelling every week. Uh, it's not just about the technology and the space exploration. There's really a human drama side to it. The performances are wonderful. And the way season one and season two ended, those final several episodes of each of those seasons, the culminating uh, episodes... Oh, my God, some of the most pulse-pounding television I've ever seen in my life, especially when you get to the second-to-last episode, or maybe it is the last episode of season two, where something happens that I've never seen done in a sort of semi-grounded space exploration movie or show, for that matter. And I'm not going to spoil anything that happens. It takes place on the moon, on this moon base, and it is so insane i mean kimberly and i were literally on the edges of our seats and she doesn't even watch she doesn't like star trek or star wars or any of the comic book movies that we love she's she's not really into that but oh my god she's into for all mankind as much as i am and during this scene at the end of season two we were just i mean literally on the edge of our seat going oh my god oh my god it was just one of those moments where we're watching this and we're rooting for the characters and it's so intense i wish i could say what it was i don't know if you've seen it yet but it's i it's really i've not watched the show i know the i know the general premise of it and i keep seeing more and more of my friends talking about it on yeah. social media so it, it it is something that i'm definitely interested in it's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's on my list yeah, and it's, it's it's on my list to get into. But I, like I said, I know it's I know we're a couple years behind. But by the way, I just finished season one of Euphoria, so I'm way behind on stuff like that. Okay, yeah, yeah, we're in the, we're still in the middle of season two of Euphoria, still working our way through that one. But uh, in terms of for all mankind, what kept me from initially watching it was I was not entirely sold on Joe Kinnaman. Uh, who's a very interesting and unique actor. He's got a unique look and a a unique acting style. And between For All Mankind and The Suicide Squad, I am now a Joe Kinnaman fan. I think he's 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 one I get. I get him. I get him. Yeah. No, I, 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 like I said, I, I do want to get into that's one that's on my list of things to get into. But see, I remember Ron Moore from um, Battlestar Galactica. Which oh, of I course. Loved, yeah. The reboot of Battlestar. Battle that was phenomenal. Incredible. Yeah. 
the thing that pulled me out of the Star Trek universe for for all mankind was in an episode where they actually referenced the show Star Trek. They say, oh, did you see Star Trek the other day or whatever it was? And I was like, oh, so that means the show exists in the show. So this is not eventually going to lead to Starfleet. Okay. But still, yeah. in, in my in my mind, <laughs> I'd like to this imagine. Is, this is how we get to Starfleet. Yes, exactly right. It's got that idealism about it. It's got yeah. that uh, positive view of space exploration, though in season two, there is a Russia element that I think kind of applies to what we're seeing in real life today with Ukraine and Putin. But of course, it's, you know, it's a different story, but it still involves Russian aggression and so on. And yeah. uh, and it's super duper intense. Anyway, so that's that's my favorite Star Trek series, even though it's not a Star Trek series, but it <laughs> could very easily be. So you haven't seen the Batman yet, have you? No, it. Um, in fact, I was I was joking around with Dylan uh, last night because the, the, when it came out, I missed the window to see it. I was traveling, and it was my mom's birthday, and then there was just it was kind of like one of those things where I realized, oh, I'm going to miss my chance to see it, mm -hmm. and now everyone's going to have seen it that I would go see it with. And then it was like, well, it's going to be available on HBO max. Literally it comes out on HBO max next Monday. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, you know what? I was like, once I got, once I got so far into the window, I was like going, it's 45 days. I'm going to be able to see this, you know, in no time. Mm -hmm. So, and it might be a little bit brighter on my TV screen than it would be in the movie theater from what I hear. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only thing. Well, that's one of the things that I had. Man, I, I hate to say complaints because overall, I thought it was a good movie. I thought it was a good mm -hmm. Batman movie. It wasn't my favorite Batman movie. I think I gave it something like an 8 out of 10. Uh, because there were some things that I think we've seen already, and we've seen it already done in better ways. Uh, yeah. and, and one of the things they really propped up this movie is the notion of Batman as the world's greatest detective. And I don't want to spoil anything specific to it, but... As the movie plays out, you discover, well, hey, wait a minute. He's not the world's greatest detective. In fact, he's he's kind of sucks at being a detective because <laughs> he gets it wrong a bunch of times. And uh, I, I found that I was solving the riddle before Batman was, which is, I don't know what that, I mean, I'm not saying that to uh, puff myself up by any stretch. I'm just saying that they were kind of obvious riddles when you see them play out. Anyway, um, there were a few other things in the in the movie that I didn't love. Again, I'm not really criticizing the movie. It's just, it's not quite my Batman. Gotcha. Um, I get you. I, I've seen excellently done, grounded Batman in the Christopher Nolan series. Yep. This felt like Christopher Nolan series with a darker Gotham. Rather, the, the characters could have existed in the Nolan universe, but Gotham was just a little bit darker, darker visually as well, which is part of the problem with the movie, because sometimes it gets so dark that you can't tell what's going on. Yeah. But I feel like I've been there. I like the more uh, fantasy oriented Batman, something that's a that's got a level of reality. Obviously, one of the reasons we all love Batman is because he doesn't have any superpowers, but I like that elevated reality i love the elevated reality of the tim burton universe i love yeah. the elevated reality of the Zack snyder universe where it's it's grounded but it's heightened a little bit and uh this one was 
not heightened enough. I don't know if I'm making that clear. I don't know if you're following. I, no, what I, get what you're, I totally yeah, get what you're yeah. saying. I mean, like, by the way, the most recent Batman movie I watched was we sat through Batman Forever a couple of weeks ago. Just oh yeah, we, we need. We were like, let's put something on that's kind of mindless. It'll be fun because we. I, I haven't seen it in you know 20 years. Oh wow, what did you think so, uh, revisiting? Wow. <laughs> It's crazy. <laughs> it is. It's it's fucking insane. It's bananas. But you know what? At the same time, it's fun bananas. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I mean, like you look at it and it, it's funny what, what Dylan does a lot of times when we put on movies like that is he'll go down the IMDb rabbit hole with like all of the, the, the trivia and the behind the scenes gossip. Uh-huh. And apparently Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey hated each other. Oh yeah. Yeah. Apparently um, Tim Burton and Val Kilmer hated each other. Wow. And so like, it just sounds like just the, the, the chaos on the set just in and of itself just sounds like it was bananas behind the scenes. Even. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, but at the end of the day, it was like, it's a fun, crazy, you know, silly movie, you know, me seeing that for the first time when I was in college, a senior in college, just like discovering that I was getting or coming, coming to the realization that I was gay. I was like, Oh, Chris O'Donnell can be my Robin anytime. <laughs> Yeah, and then he moves I, in with, and then he moves in with hot, sexy daddy Batman Val Kilmer at the time, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm into this." <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's such a fascinating movie because, on one hand, I think Val Kilmer is playing it one thousand percent seriously. There's yeah. nothing campy about what Val Kilmer is doing. So here he is in the middle of this movie that is so utterly and visually fucked up looking. Um, Camp at, like. Take I mean Joe Schumacher. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah, exactly, exactly. And as fucked up as Batman Forever is, Batman and Robin is a thousand times more fucked up and weird. Uh, I've never seen it. Amplifies all of that. Yeah, you know what? It's a uh, it's a fun movie to have uh, a few cocktails while watching, or if you yeah. prefer uh, marijuana. It's either way. <laughs> it's one of those movies yeah. that you can just have a good time watching how obscenely dumb it is. I mean, so many dumb things i mean george clooney looks great in a batman suit but that's yeah. about the extent of it this is like arnold just cheesing it up they're all cheesing it up in this movie yeah. but with both batman forever and batman and robin here's where it went off the rails with the we're trying to make a comic book idea which is yeah, what the campy factor yeah the, the silliness Joel Schumacher at the time spent a lot of uh, interviews talking about how well we're making a comic book here well this you still hear this line today in the context of comic book movies. Oh yes, we're making a comic book, so it's got to be garish and big. Well, yeah, if you're talking about like the golden age, uh, post comic book code era of comic books, yeah, there was some crazy shit in there, and James Gunn is kind of mining some of the weirder things and turning them on their heads and 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 that's how he's applying them and that's the right way to apply them yeah but at that point by the middle 1990s there was already a couple of decades of really dark interesting non-campy especially batman comics oh yeah and if you're going to make a comic book movie there's a stereotype that you have to make it like the garish big uh, Batman 1966 Adam West series. Mm-hmm. But he was skipping over all kinds of great comic sources to base Batman Forever and Batman and Robin on. Um, you know, decades of comic history, which I always found weird. Like, 
if you're going to make a comic book movie, you have lots of things that are more current and a little more interesting than what we saw in the 1950s, for example. Yeah, no, I look at also one of the things that kind of like grew out of the the Tim Burton Batman movies mm-hmm. was the uh, Fox Batman animated series, which oh, was yeah. a huge hit. Yeah. And that ran for a long time. And that and that one that really embraced the dark side of Batman. Yeah. And it was it was a lot. I mean, like that that, that animated cartoon for little kids was way more was way darker than I would say any of the um, the Tim Burton or Joel Schumacher Batman mm-hmm. movies. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I would love. And that's to introduced see. us to Harley Quinn. Yes, absolutely, and I would love to see a live action adaptation of Batman the Animated Series, completely complete with a suit, uh, with a proper bat suit. I have, I don't know if you know this about me, <laughs> Travis, but I have a real bias against uh, armored Batman. I feel like, okay. yeah, if Katniss Everdeen has, doesn't have to wear armor, if Indiana Jones doesn't have to wear armor, if Bruce Lee doesn't have to wear armor, James Bond doesn't have to wear armor, Daredevil, why why does Batman have to wear all of this armor? And I feel like so much of the Batman aesthetic gets lost when we're layering on, you know, shoulder pads and chest plates and all this stuff. And uh, it actually kind of, to me, as like a Batman super fan, it makes Batman seem weaker and more vulnerable than he is. And I feel like his skills, especially trading in the League of Shadows, for example, his skills would be much more honed to not necessarily need as much armor. So that's why one of the reasons I like the the Ben Affleck uh, Batman costume, because it de-emphasizes the armor and takes us to more of a comic book aesthetic with the black and the gray and the fabric rather than... You know, in the uh, in the new Batman movie with Robert Pattinson, it's it's like loaded up with all the uh, you know metal titanium padding and so on. And uh, okay, and while that's acceptable, I mean, it's it's not like I'm going ah fuck all of that. <laughs> I'm looking at it and going, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's not something I love, but it's not something that takes me out of the movie either. You know what I mean? That's also why I always, for some reason, this is where I'm like, I'm weird on Batman. I've always liked Nightwing better than Batman. Oh yeah, that's yeah. He's your thing, isn't he? What, like, what was I, it? Like, what's the connection there? You know what it is. It's because it's there's there's a similarity between the two of them as far as like what they represent and being that like that common man. Yeah. But Nightwing still sees the light. Yeah. It's, that's yeah. the way I describe it. He's like he's the one who still has he sees the light. He has the hope. He's not as jaded, mm-hmm. and um, he still has real connections and and relationships with people. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And I think that's, that's, that's always what's appealed. Like I, I read the Nightwing comic book. I don't read the Batman comic book. Hmm. I know I'm, I'm weird like that, but I've just, I've always been like, I'm, I've, I've always been team Nightwing. I just, I like, I like what he became, I guess. I, you know, he, he didn't slip into the cracks like Bruce did. And it's, um, it's funny, like in the comic books right now, they've just kind of like relaunched a new storyline in his book where um, Alfred um, mm-hmm. has passed away. Wow. And it turns out that Alfred had been socking his money away and investing his money and had gotten shares in Wayne Industries over the years and all this stuff. And he left it all to um, to Dick Grayson, Nightwing. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, Nightwing is like, I'm a billionaire. And now I have to figure <laughs> out how am I going to use the money that was left to me to make my city better? 
fascinating yeah and so it's kind of like it's kind of it's kind of like they're 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 throwing in this this well how would how would nightwing hand or how how would somebody else handle this money that bruce wayne has you know that that level of of wealth yeah you know how how would you how would you make your city better if you had had access to that so it's kind of fun to see a new person a new rich person you know come into that money and trying to decide how he's gonna you know save his city what's the uh Nightwing fan base like right now because we have seen some Nightwing in the uh, in the the Titans sh- shows that I don't watch <laughs> yeah I yeah, I started Titans, into yeah. the Titans and then I got distracted by Daredevil and so I didn't get back to the Titans yet completely fair yeah but I mean is the Nightwing character resonating among maybe first time fans of uh, that series uh, is it something is Nightwing a character that can translate to say his own you know movie trilogy for example um you know it'll be interesting to see how the what what i would say is let's see how the batgirl movie turns out this year because that's coming out on hbo max this year uh that'll be the first test of really seeing if one of these side characters can spin off into their own series but i i think he can i think he's an interesting enough character it's it's kind of weird though because we've not we've not really gotten a good dose of robin in any of the Batmans. I mean, we, we got, mm-hmm. you know, the, the two Chris O'Donnell movies yeah, where he was Robin, but we never really got into, um, he was never really fully formed as a character. Mm-hmm. So we've not, we've not seen that. And I think where we're at with, I don't know where we're at in the Batverse anymore, as far as, because <laughs> it seems like the Ben Affleck stuff is gone. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and they alluded to a dead Robin mm-hmm. in, um, in Batman versus Superman. Yes. Yes. Which would have been the Tim Drake, the second Robin, which means that there's Dick Grace. Sorry for people out there who are listening to this going, who the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> I think that's been most of the show for both of us though. I mean, if, yes. if you're lost now uh, and you weren't lost five minutes in, well, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> and actually I just said the wrong Robin too, by the way. So the Robins were Dick Grayson, yeah. Jason Todd, Tim Drake, and now Damian Wayne. Mm-hmm. Okay, right, right. Those are, those are your Robins. So the second Robin, Jason Todd, is the one who died. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, we don't, so we haven't seen Tim Drake or really um, anything about, so like if in the Bat, the, the Snyder Batmans, Nightwing should exist and should be an adult at that point if Tim Drake is, or not Tim Drake, if Jason Todd is already yeah. dead. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's one, you know, I just, I still think that there were storylines started in the Snyderverse that, uh, are so tantalizing to imagine. I think that maybe is where the the fan base comes from because there's such great potential there. Say what you will about the tone and the storytelling of uh, of BVS and, and Zack Snyder's Justice League, but the universe that they set up is really tantalizing to see, makes you want to see more of that, makes you want to see yeah. where all the threads go, uh, both past and future. And uh, well, th- yeah, it felt like the first time they were doing world, real world building for for DC. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it, it got screwed up at the end. <laughs> yes. It got you know? very screwed up right now. The whole DC extended universe is a goddamn mess. And now with the most recent announcement that they're, uh, shifting around the release dates for some of these things. And in fact, I think there were some comments regarding Batgirl. You mentioned Batgirl a second ago, where mm-hmm. now I think Batgirl is going to be coming out prior to the flash dropping which The Flash introduces uh, Michael Keaton as Batman again uh, because of time travel and changing the future and so on. But then Michael Keaton also appears in Batgirl, 
but already established in that universe. So it's like, for some reason, I don't know if it's Warner Brothers. I don't know if, if it's Jeff Johns and, and DC. I don't know who the culprit is in all of this. But it's almost like they're deliberately trying to screw it up. It's like a Brewster's Millions kind of thing or Springtime for Hitler where they're deliberately trying to scramble everything so that people stop paying attention to these to, or this, yeah. to, to this particular universe. I don't understand what they're doing. Do you? I I agreed. <laughs> you know, it's it's well, because like the whole the whole time was like, I, for me, I'm going to start with with Flashpoint, yeah. which is the movie that's coming out this year. And for people who aren't familiar with it, Flashpoint is um, Barry Allen's character from who's in Justice League. Mm-hmm. He goes back. He because he broke the speed force. Let's go back to fan favorite moment. You know, the cheerworthy moment. Yeah, <laughs> when right. he broke the speed of, force of all time. Realized, by the way. And realized he could travel through time Mm. in the comic books. Flashpoint was flash goes back in time and saves his mom from being killed, which is a big part of his origin story. Right. And that what, when he gets back to the present day, he no longer has flash powers and the world's gone all to shit. Yes. And so it's him trying to get the timeline resorted out. And in flashpoint, it's not Bruce Wayne that he's working with. It's Thomas Wayne. Yes. In that timeline, um, uh, Bruce was killed in the alley and mm-hmm. Thomas survived. Yeah. And Martha Wayne becomes the Joker. Which she goes is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so I'm like, that's like, I'm even like, I'm wondering like, is Michael Keaton playing Batman or is he playing Bruce Wayne or Thomas Wayne in Flashpoint? Yeah, I think they're adapting Flashpoint. I don't think they're going to do literally the Flashpoint storyline, although there could end up being a, a war between Atlantis and, and, uh, the Amazons. and the Amazons, which is a Flashpoint story. But I think with the Flash movie that's coming up, which has now been delayed and which is now embattled because of Ezra Miller's behavior in Hawaii, well, that's a yeah. whole separate story. Uh, suffice to say what happens is the setup is the same as Flashpoint where the Flash apparently goes back in time to save his mother and in the process of doing that he changes the timeline changes the future he breaks the world right so that Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne is no longer Batman it's Michael Keaton's Batman and I think there at two points he confronts Michael Keaton's Batman one in the past. And then I think when he goes back, when the flash returns to present time, present day. yeah, at that point, then Michael Keaton's Batman is, you know, the Batman that's been permanent, that's been, you know, patrolling Gotham for the last 30 years or whatever it is. So, right. yeah. So we're going to see Batman in the element of late eighties, early nineties and Michael Keaton's Batman. And then we're going to see where he ends up 30 years later in, in present day. So yeah. that's kind of what we're going to get. And then on top of that, and I'm, I'm spoiling all kinds of shit here. So just bear that in mind. We don't know because we're yeah. speculating because we haven't seen these movies either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then also uh, I think Henry Cavill's Superman is no longer going to be the Kryptonian on Earth in the changed current day. I think it's going to be Supergirl. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. I've I've heard rumors about that, too. Yeah. And so, in fact, there's been some set photos and things like that. Some, I think there was a trailer that was shown at uh, DC Fandom last year. 
And so we get a glimpse of her. And so that's going to be the setup for what's going to be the new Justice League, the new DC characters, which will continue to be Jason Momoa's Aquaman, continue to be uh, Gal Gadot's uh, Wonder Woman. But and, and then Ezra Miller will continue to play the Flash for now, his personal behavior aside. Yeah. And they may even replace him. But uh, Batman's going to be Michael Keaton. Uh, Kryptonian is going to be uh, Supergirl instead of Superman. And that's how we're moving forward in time. And I think eventually they're going to do Green Lantern Corps and other things like that to build out the universe. But they got to get more organized with all of this because people, I think audiences, general audiences, not those of us who follow this stuff, but general audiences, are already, I think, getting confused by both the DC universe and the Marvel universe in terms of movies and shows and new developments and new storylines that they can't keep up with. And then on top of that, you've got this DC extended universe that is constantly changing its approach and switching things around and meddling and undermining itself. I'm I'm concerned about how The Flash is going to do as a consequence of it. And I think we may have talked about this uh, last time you were on where I think it's already going to have an uphill climb in comparison to No Way Home. I think people are going to set the No Way Home standard for a multiverse. And then when The Flash comes out, they're going to go, well, this is okay, but it was no 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 Way Home. (laughs) You know what I mean? And and we're also going to be getting Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness before that. Yes, yes. Which so, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about that one. Yeah. Okay, short pause here to talk about the after party. Every Friday, Kimberly Johnson and I record a fourth Bob Seska Show podcast for the week. But this one's totally different from the usual Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday shows. The Friday after party podcast is loaded with all the politics you want, while also including uncensored, completely obscene conversations about sex, drugs, movies, television, our personal lives, a whole lot of our personal lives, all the stuff we can't get away with on the free show so please help support this podcast by subscribing to our friday after party for just ten dollars per month and bonus you're also going to get two shadow docket shows every week included in that level of support again that's bobseskashow.com or just click the all caps patreon link beneath the logo at bobseska.com thank you delve into the shadows of the mind with sleeping dogs a gripping murder mystery starring academy award winner russell crowe now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery. What do you think of Moon Knight so far? Um, it's fun. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely different. I don't think it's it's not my favorite Marvel show, mm-hmm. but I like that we're getting a peek into a different corner of the universe, and it, yes, it feels disconnected from everything else that we have seen so far. Like I've not seen a reference to Thanos, the Blip, Captain America. Mm-hmm. Like it's it really feels like it's pocketed in its own world. Um, I, I mean, I feel like we got a little bit of that in, um, in Shang-Chi. Yes. Because it was, um, I mean, they referenced the blip and they referenced those things, but it really was in its own little pocket until the very end for the, um, 
the post-credit sequences. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I have the same assessment. I think it's fun. I didn't know anything about Moon Knight. I, of course, recognized the character from seeing yeah. you know uh, panels from the comics. But I didn't really... It's not a character that I had ensconced myself in. So I'm kind of learning about Moon Knight as this show uh, moves along. And uh, I initially wasn't super thrilled to watch it, but it's the MCU and I'm really into the overall, the big picture storyline. So I wanted to uh, make sure I keep up with all of these things. And so I started watching it and I found myself really starting to enjoy it. It it is such an offbeat, unusual setup that's uh, initially very mysterious and confusing, uh, but then starts to... and, And once Moon Knight finally is fully established, I think as of episode three or something like that episode two yeah Yeah. and so once moon knight is in action oh man that's where my uh you know audience meter (laughs) my dial goes all the way to the top yeah my focus group dial goes all the way to the top and they're like oh okay now i really get it this is a great character episode two is where it really kicked in for me episode one i was kind of like and and i'm like you i don't know moon knight um i think i've read one comic book like arc in the Avengers Mm -hmm. where he was a character and involved in it. And basically what I knew was the guy was mentally ill. He had multiple personality disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he had, he had, I shouldn't say mentally ill. He had, he had some, some issues Mm -hmm. that he was working through and the, and so I just like, and, and in that one, he was kind of a bad guy. Yeah in the arc that I read. So it was kind of like, I know that this character is just one that plays around the gray areas. And then just from other things I've listened to, I know that the original, like the Mark Spector, who we got a taste of in episode two of Moon Knight, in the comic books, he was, originally he was just, he was like a spy who made a deal with this moon god. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of, and he was kind of like, at the time when he was first created, he was like the Batman of the Marvel universe. Oh yeah, yeah. And it was like, and like, there was like a comment on his costume, and they're like, "Well, why do you wear all white?" Is it because I want them to see me coming? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I yeah, wa- I want them to be scared, see me coming, which I love is like that. That, kind of like the exact opposite of Batman. But it's also mm. like that's kind of a baller move <laughs> to oh, right. throw down as a as a line. Mm-hmm. So it's um, so like, see, and then like the 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 multiple personality or disassociative personality disorder that has that's something that wasn't introduced until like the '90s with the character. Okay. So that was something that was like added to the character much, much later mm-hmm. and they've evolved that. And, and, and uh, from what I understand, there might be more personalities that we don't know about yet. Yeah, that could be too. It seems like it's wide open. And yeah. uh, as far as villains go, I love the Ethan Hawke villain character uh, because he's so different than some of the villains we've seen in the past. Plus yeah. it's beginning to take shape for me you know, just mentally in terms of thinking about the MCU and this particular phase of that universe. And it's kind of fortuitous that they have introduced or featured a lot of third tier Marvel characters through Mm -hmm. this pandemic period of time where it's really grounded in Disney plus rather than theatrical films. And you see far more of these Moon Knight level characters. Uh, Doctor Strange, I think, could even be included in there. Shang-Chi as well. And uh, these are all characters that seems okay to introduce these characters when people aren't going to the theaters for these big comic book blockbusters, at least currently. 
And when yeah. the theatrical presentation comes back, when we're done with COVID officially, I mean, for real, uh, and people start to go back to movie theaters, I, I hope they do bring up some of these A-list Marvel characters again. And it seems like that's the direction they're headed, aren't they? Well, we, we know that we've got... Um just trying to like plot out what's coming up next as far as movies. I mean, we've got Dr. Strange coming up this year. Yeah. Um, I believe it's in the, in the, is it late summer is the Thor love and thunder. Yeah. That's going to be a big one. That's going to be the first time we've revisited one of the primary, um, one of the original Avengers. Avengers. Yeah. One of the original Avengers. Yeah. So we've got him coming uh, later this summer, which is going to be very interesting. That's also where we get the female Thor. Oh right, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. I can't wait to see that. And her the, the 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 character arc that they put her character through in the comics was just great. So I'm I'm really excited to see, uh, um, you know, Natalie Portman take on being Thor. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we've got I think it's in the fall is unless things got pushed, Wakanda Forever. Yes, which that's you, really exciting too. Can, yeah, I'm so curious because we know nothing about that movie is Tom Cruise going to take over as Iron Man. Is that going to be a thing? Because I keep seeing little bits and pieces about this on the various websites, but I'm not sure if that's restricted to just a a cameo in uh, multiverse of madness, or if this is going to be something that's going to be a regular thing now. Yeah. I, you know, it's, that's, that's the thing that's going to be really interesting about multiverse of madness because we, we're, we're, it sounds like we're going to be getting what Marvel calls the Illuminati. Yeah. And in the in the comic books, the Illuminati was um, it was Black Panther, mm-hmm. it was uh, Captain America, it was Professor Xavier, it was Reed Richards, Reed Richards, yeah, um, it was uh, Doctor Strange, and there was a sixth person in there, um, uh, uh, Banner. Oh right, okay. Um, those were the I believe that was the original um, Illuminati, so or, or maybe um. No, I think that's it. I think that's that's it. So it'll be really interesting to see um, what this or Professor Xavier. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's it's gonna be really interesting to see what we get in this Illuminati and um, that people are feeling is coming in uh, Multiverse of Madness because like we've heard Patrick Stewart's voice. Yeah. And we know there were like five other chairs that were that we didn't see who was in those chairs. So it's gonna be it, 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 like you said. It it could be Iron Man. It could be you know it, it could be where we get more of um, um, is it Haley Atwell. Oh no, yeah, wait. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Peggy Carter. Yes, as as Captain America. I mean, we've we've seen in the, the latest trailers, uh, Zombie Strange and Zombie um, Wanda, <laughs> right? Which we know are from What If. Yeah, you know, I, we we could we could end up getting, um, you know, um, oh, uh, Michael B. Jordan could be the the T'Challa in this. Oh wow! Okay. Could be, I, I'm, I, I'm just throwing it out there. I, I don't yeah. know, you know, yeah. th- you know, there's, there's so many places we could go with it as far as that's concerned. It could be Black Panther's father could be alive in this, in, you know, the, this multiverse. Yeah. You know, rumor has it that Daredevil and Kingpin are going to appear in the Echo series. And that's another character. I mean, apart from her appearance in Hawkeye, I don't know anything about Echo. What, what's her story apart from what was established in that, uh, in the Hawkeye series? So in the in the comic books, and it's funny because right now she is. Um, I'll, I'll let me get to the comic books in a second here. She's an Avenger in the comic books right now, oh. but um, but in the comic books she was a mutant, hmm. and her power was that she can mimic 
anyone's fighting style instantly. Wow. So if she's so kind of like a taskmaster in, um, in, um, um, black widow. Yeah. That's, that's kind of her power is that she can, she can automatically mimic anyone's, um, fighting ability. Um, you know, as she's fighting them, mm. she can learn their, their, their moves and stuff like that. And, and currently in the comic books, I don't know if this is how familiar with X-Men lore. Um, yeah, I'm pretty up to speed. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not as schooled in that as I should be, but yeah. In the comic books right now, she's the Phoenix. Oh, okay. Wow. Echo, Echo, I had no idea. Echo has the, Echo has the Phoenix force. Okay. In her. And like, literally there, this one of the storylines right now that's going on. She said, I want to see everyone who's ever fought the Phoenix and beat the Phoenix so I can learn how to defend myself. <laughs> interesting tactic yeah i love that you know it's 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 kind of like that's because she's like i've got if i've got my powers and i've got the phoenix force behind it let's see what i can do and is she deaf in so, the comics too yes okay. yeah yeah um and in the comic books they make it um to the point where she um it, it's she's very much she can um she can read lips she can um uh she talks mm -hmm. she can she can um she almost has like a, um, like a sonar, like, um, like daredevil, like daredevil. Like she can, she can sense like the vibrations of, of sound. Wow. Is how tuned in she is in the comic books. Yeah. That's so cool. But we're not, we're not there with her character yet in the, um, in the, in the, the MCU movies, but you know, that the, she definitely has room to grow. It's like, I mean, we've got coming up. I mean, we've, they did a few years ago in Marvel. They kind of, they, they really leaned into the diversity aspect and tried to mix up their characters and they brought in um, it's where Falcon took over as captain America mm -hmm. for a streak. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when the lady Thor stepped in when, when, um, when Thor became like the unworthy Thor, which is kind of where we left um, uh, the Hemsworth Thor where he was out of shape and fat and couldn't pick up his hammer and stuff. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, so we're, we're kind of, we're, we're turning the bend into all of that. Mm -hmm. And in the comic books they used, uh, there was an Asian guy who was Hulk. Um, I don't think we're going there. I think we're going there, going with the, um, she -Hulk. she Hulk. Yeah. And she's, and she Hulk is a part of the Avengers team right now in the comic books. So we've got that character coming up. Then we've got, um, Oh, um, Ms. Marvel coming up mm -hmm. in the, in the TV shows. And I'm really curious about where, um, from WandaVision where Monica Rambeau is going to end up. She was the agent that got powers. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. In WandaVision. And in the comic books, she for a while was Captain Marvel. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that she makes was sense. Captain she Mar wasn't, she introduced as a child in Captain Marvel. Uh, yeah, she was. And in the comic books, it, like in the eighties, she was the Captain Marvel. There was no Ms. Marvel and there was, and, and Captain Marvel, the original male Captain Marvel, um, had died. So she was Captain Marvel for a big chunk of the eighties and the nineties. Mm -hmm. So, um, she's a powerhouse and, um, I, she's, she goes by different names at times, but, uh, she goes by photon a lot now. Yeah. So I'm really curious if we're going to see it. Cause she's supposed to be in the Marvel's movie with, um, the next Captain Marvel movie. That's going to have her and Ms. Marvel and, um, Brie Larson's Captain Marvel. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So I'm really curious about what they're, um, where they're going with, um, with her character, I'm wondering if I'm wondering if we're going to see her in Multiverse of Madness because she's got ties to Wanda. 
It's such an ingenious strategy what they're doing with this universe. And this is just such a great example of how you do it right, how you do it the right way. And what they're doing is they're backdooring a lot of unknown characters and introducing those unknown characters to general audiences who are coming to see the marquee characters. And the way they're combining these characters uh, is, is is so smart from a, a world-building point of view, sure, but from an audience-building point of view. And yeah. where, God, I, I never would have uh, revisited Daredevil, the TV series, had it not been for uh, for the Hawkeye series, which I was yeah. f- fully familiar with Hawkeye from the you know the the first or the Infinity Saga uh, yeah. of the MCU, and, and then that made me intrigued enough to go check out Daredevil, which I now mark as one of my all time favorite. Uh, in this case, a TV series, but one of my yeah. all time favorite comic book movie properties, even though it was a series. I mean, a TV series. So uh, that, and I'm kind of a test case. I think that's happening all over the place where people. Oh are yeah, like, oh, no, I think that, a lot of people that, are discovering that for the first time now. Yeah, yeah. I love. I've never heard of that character before, but wow, I do love that character. And so that's. Uh, well, and I I love that we're going to get that. You know, that means that we've got him and Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, who were all great in their series. I'm not going to say anything about Iron Fist. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything about Iron Fist, but uh yeah. But everyone everyone really enjoyed um those the, of the of the of the the Netflix shows and then the people really liked The Punisher, which I never got into. Right, right. Yeah, I've never been a huge fan of The Punisher either, but yeah, yeah I'm all in with Daredevil in that universe. Certainly Kingpin is a, a wonderful and Super sinister villain, uh, really yeah. super violent in the uh, in the TV series. I imagine that's going to be scaled back a little bit as they uh, uh, bring it back, bring the character back, and probably Echo, probably a Daredevil series on uh, Disney Plus. I don't know if they're necessarily going to go there, but they, all, they have said that they're going to go there with her. Oh, okay, great, great. I'm really curious <laughs> if we're going to see more of Kingpin um, as we continue in the Tom Holland Spider Man movies. Oh right, yeah, and and that's where Kingpin and Spider Man were. Kingpin was one of Spider Man's original villains too. Yeah, in fact, that's how that's how I knew about Kingpin prior to ever even hearing about Daredevil. Uh, I yeah. was aware of Kingpin from the Spider Man stories. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so and, it's going to be fun to see if that that pans out into something, right? And, and I, I would love to see Spider Man and Matt Murdock together more. Oh yeah, definitely. And but that's where the Spider Man aspect of the MCU—that's where the MCU gets a little gummed up, I think, between uh, the Marvel movies and the Sony Spider Man universe, where it, it, apparently there's a little bit of overlap there. Certainly, there was overlap because of the multiverse aspect of uh, No Way Home. But mm-hmm. there's just there's a lot of property confusion going on, I think. And and much like what's happening with the DCEU, I think for general audiences, people are just confused into a stupor as to uh, where which characters belong where. You know what I mean? I'm going to as far as this, the, the Sony Spider-Verse is is concerned, I'm going to only treat the um, the only things that matter to me are going to be the ones that involve um, uh the um tom holland yeah his spider-man mm-hmm. and the miles morales who's in the animated versions of yes yeah those are the, those are the only ones i'm going to concern myself with because the venom and the morbius and i believe we've got craven the hunter is coming mm-hmm. soon um and then um michael keaton's vulture from the mcu is now in the sony spider-verse 
Yes. He shows up in, um, <laughs> in Morbius. Yeah. Have you and, seen and Morbius? I, Did you watch that? No, I have not seen either the Venom movies or Morbius. Yeah. Neither have I. Um, you know, if it's, if it was streaming free and I had the place to myself, cause I know Dylan wouldn't want to watch them. I might put on one of them, but I, I honestly, I don't have any interest. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a big Venom fan and it's, and like, I like Venom when it's the Spider-Man origin story of Venom where right. Spider-Man gets a suit, it corrupts him. And he realizes that guy got rid of this thing. And then it, it has like this, like animosity towards him for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which we kind of saw in the Tobey Maguire movies, but it was mm-hmm. really, really, really bad done. <laughs> right, right. So don't, don't don't want to count that. So like right now, I'm limiting my my spider consumption to Tom Holland and uh, Miles Morales. So before I let you go, Travis, uh, I'm sure by now you've heard about Bruce Willis. Uh, such a tragic story. Uh, yeah. He's got this form of aphasia or something along those lines. And what's fascinating about that, and he's obviously retiring from acting because of this, uh, this illness. Uh, it was obvious in some of his most recent movies that something was going on with him where in yeah. a couple of cases I noticed, uh, and I've just seen clips here and there. I haven't seen any of these uh, recent Bruce Willis movies where he's basically in glorified cameos where they've got obvious earpieces in his ears so he can be fed his lines. And it's, it's so sad to see that. Um, he still looks okay, but you can see, you can tell that he's not really following what's going on. And it's so strange to see that because I think certainly our generation, Travis, we came up, watching him as this robust action star, whether it was in Moonlighting or the Die Hard movies or yeah. whatever. I mean, he's been in some of the, I mean, he's actually in, he's the star of one of my all-time favorite uh, superhero movies, which is Unbreakable. And uh, and it's just, it's so sad to see him deteriorating like this. Uh, so I just, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Bruce Willis here before we uh, finish up today. I think, you know, I, he's, I feel like he's one of the first, you know, man of action stars that we that we had you know growing up as as a kid who we're seeing um you know start to get old (laughs) yeah exactly and and i mean like and i I don't know how old bruce willis is i'm he's got to be in his 60s yeah i thought i always thought he was up there with stallone and schwarzenegger maybe in his 70s you know what while you're talking i'm gonna look that up he he could be but uh, i think it's i think what's weird is he's one of our first um people that we saw as an action movie star who's, who's kind of crossing over into that um, he's getting old. And, and again, it's premature in his case because of this. Yeah. Um, and that makes it, you know, that much harder and weirder for us. But I mean, we're also looking at like, you know, like just a slight turn, a little bit a pivot on that, but like, you know, this year we lost, um, you know, Bob Saget and, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Gilbert Godfrey this week. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Louis Anderson as well. You know, mm-hmm. these, these people who were like, we're starting to lose people that I consider more my generation. Yeah. Even though they're, they're, and then when I say my generation, they're the people I grew up watching as a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, I was, I was a kid watching Moonlighting, but it was, it was great. And like, you know, I remember going to like slumber parties and watching Die Hard, you know, when oh, I was yeah. like in the seventh or eighth grade. <laughs> so I just, it's, it, it, it's, it's weird that we're, we're starting to see that. It's going to be like when, you know, when Chris Evans gets old. Oh yeah. Or, God. 
you know, that's that, you know, and, and again, it's doubly sad because it's hitting Bruce Willis prematurely because of Mm -hmm. this aphasia that he's dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, that, that's the part that's going to be, um, it's kind of like a reckoning for us as as we're becoming adults, we're starting to see our, I don't want to say contemporaries because they're older than us, but they're, they're people that we grew up with. Right. Yeah. And Bruce Willis is 67. And just to put that in context, uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone is 75. Okay. Uh, And I think Schwarzenegger is around the same age. Uh, But yeah, it's, 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 it seems too soon for someone like Bruce Willis to end up having to uh, bow out of what he does and say, well, I mean, I don't know what is, what he's like personally or his politics or anything like that. I know there've been some funny stories that have been going around, mostly rooted out of uh, Kevin Smith's interactions with Bruce Willis, uh, certainly on whatever that movie was cop out. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, I've heard nothing but good things about Bruce Willis behind yeah. the scenes. It's just, uh, it's, a, it's such a shame that, uh, yeah. yeah, someone like Bruce Willis ends up getting aphasia and has to retire early, but yeah, Donald Trump is still, <laughs> still going. Well, it's like, it, also going. Was, it was, it, it, I felt bad this year too, because before any of this was announced, um, uh, the Razzies. Yeah which um, I, I always look at like tongue in cheek with the Razzies. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a special category this year. Um, worst performance by Bruce Willis in a Bruce Willis movie. <sighs> and they, because he released yeah. so many movies this last year, mm-hmm. they did a, a, a special category dedicated just to him. And it was not knowing. Yeah. They, they, they did this before they knew what was going on with him. And that, that part to me that I felt, I felt really guilty about that. Yeah, and the red letter media guys got in trouble for that too, uh, because they yeah. were busted because they didn't know they didn't they weren't right. aware of what was going on with Bruce Willis, so they just figured he was phoning it in that he was just not putting in any effort into these movies, and you know in some cases you get actors who pay the bills by doing shit movies, and then right. yeah, so they can do theater or whatever else, and in this case, it was because most likely because. He just didn't have the mental chops anymore to be able to do any more serious roles than what he was doing. So he, he knew he wasn't going to be able. He probably he probably knew this way before we did. Yeah, and that's why he wanted to do as many of these things as he could while he could. Mm-hmm. And that's also you know setting up for you know his family and his kids. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so y- you've got to respect that that side of it. And it's, it's it, I feel like sorry, I'm going to bring this back around to like our political world that we live in right now is so many people are so quick to jump on something to own someone mm-hmm. and to call them out. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I feel like social media is a piece of this where we've gotten meaner, you know, yeah. yeah. In our, in our commentary of stuff. And I'm, and, and it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find a way of being nicer in social media and stuff like that because you mm. you don't none of us know the full story yeah oh yeah and i'm not saying that like people don't deserve to be bashed on or you know gone after but um there's so much of this like gotcha culture that we have right now and and that's the part that bothers me about what um what happened with bruce willis and then we find out that oh wait no there's a real reason for all of this yeah i completely understand in fact that's something that i've tried to incorporate in uh my view of things and my interactions is I try to uh, adapt the Ted Lasso line, which is yeah. be curious, not judgmental. 
And, you know, we often fail as much as we try to, you know, to, to follow that idea, that maxim. Uh, we often fail, and that's just us being humans, or that's us, you know, I think sticking it to someone who maybe actually does deserve it. But at the same time, I think we could stand to use just a little bit more of the be curious, not judgmental maxim in our lives. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's, uh, th- I think that's something that applies a lot to the sorts of movies that we love in particular. Uh, these comic book movies, you can extend that to Star Trek and Star Wars and so on. And I find that the fandom has become so rabid around some of these things that it becomes toxic. And we've seen that yeah. happen with Star Wars, with racism. Oh, yeah. We've seen this happen uh, certainly with, you know, as we started the conversation with, you know, the <laughs> the release the Snyder Cut guys maybe going a little overboard with their fandom. Uh, but to me, at least that's proactive. That's that's like, oh, we love this director and his take on these things. Where they go off the rails is when they say, oh, well, your v- Batman and your Superman is invalid because yeah. Zack Snyder was deprived of his full universe, et cetera. That's, that's where it gets toxic. And so I'm so glad you brought this up because it's something that I'm constantly struggling with where I want to talk about these things. I want to tweet about these things, but I know that the way social media is, no matter what you say, no matter what you pump into the void, there's going to be someone you're going to piss off by it. And they're Mm going to tell you, or they're going to be offended by what you've said about movie X or Y. And then it becomes this big shovel fight. And you know, we do that so often with our political lives in the in this extremely toxic political discourse that we're dealing with on a daily basis, Travis. You and I both, uh, certainly Stephanie and Chris, um, it becomes so heartbreaking some days to exist in that world. I want to save comic book movies. I want to save Star Wars for a non-confrontational universe or in my mind, I want it to be just something that I admittedly subjectively enjoy just in and of itself. I don't want to have to turn it into this debate. I don't want to have to come up with talking points to defend the movies that I love and the characters that I love. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. No, that's, and that's the thing is like, I, I, I always go back to when it's like, when it's toxic fandom. Yeah. Um, I grew up on I, my biggest obsession was Transformers. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited when I, when they announced that they were making a real live action Transformers movie, I was so, so, so excited. I'm sure. Those movies just get worse and worse <laughs> and worse. like they, they were never great to begin with, mm-hmm. but as like somebody who, who was a, and, and, and I'm using an example, a Kevin Smith example. I think I may have mentioned this in a previous episode, but for me, it was like in that first Transformers movie for as crappy as that movie was, and as how much as it didn't reflect my Transformers, what I grew up with, what I loved from reading comic books and watching cartoons and playing with toys. Yeah. Still that moment of getting to see the glamour shot of Optimus Prime transforming for the first time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like still to this day, like I, I know how that made me feel. And that was such a great thing. Kevin Smith, when we were um, working on um, uh, Geeking Out, talked about the, the original, the first Suicide Squad movie, which was not good. Right. Yeah. No, it's not. Um, but he talked about that moment when you got to see Harley and Joker dancing in the old costumes, like from the Batman animated series mm-hmm. and how th- that was like that moment 
that he never thought he was going to get to see. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I, I try to like with, with the comic movies is like, even the ones that I don't like, I look for that moment, you know, that, 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 that bright spot in it. And, you know, does, do the transformers in those movies look like my transformers? No. Yeah. Um, but they, they're doing a better job. I, I'm, I'm curious about what the next one's going to be like, because they've kind of rebooted that and maybe they're going in a better direction now, but you know, and, and you know, complaining about stuff, stuff isn't going to work when you, yeah. like, you can't take a comic, like you said, like the Batman movies, the, the Joel Schumacher, we're making a comic book. It doesn't work mm-hmm. when you try to make it like, I, I can't imagine like a, a robot that looked like my transform, my Optimus Prime as a kid fighting because it was just this block that couldn't barely move (laughs) you know like those things don't work so like you have to just accept that they're going to evolve these things and try to make them work for the big screen in a way that's better yeah and and hope like you know hopefully they get it right or they get some things right and you know maybe they learn from their mistakes and they start to you know move in the right direction i mean like remember when x-men came out people were like well, no, you can't have Storm on the same team as Cyclops and Wolverine and Jean Grey. That they never fought together. It was like, well, calm down. We're telling a story and we're taking the interesting pieces of it and yeah. putting it together. Yeah, in the Lord of the Rings universe, I, I never stop hearing, where's Tom Bombadil in the first Lord of the Rings movie? I'm like, oh my God. But not everything has to be in it. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, like you're you're creating a new world and you're 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 going there. So yeah, you know, as fans, we need to appreciate them. And, you know, you know, push them to do better where we can, mm-hmm. but don't, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. And you know what? Ultimately there's nothing wrong with wanting to exist for two hours or whatever it is in a particular universe, whether it's the Transformers universe or what have you. Um, and not everything has to be cinematic gold. Not everything has to be the Godfather or Citizen Kane. Uh, right. My least favorite Star Wars thing of all time, Attack of the Clones. I think it's a lot of people's least favorite Star Wars thing. I can at least find, you know, maybe a dozen really great aspects of that movie that if I yeah. end up sitting down and watching Attack of the Clones, there's a lot of groan worthy things, a lot of cringy things in Attack of the Clones. But there are several things in that movie that are just outstanding Star Wars. And so I'll yeah. still watch uh, Attack of the Clones. I mean, at the very least, for the John Williams score, which is yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, I know it's, you can't argue with that. You get those, yeah, you, you get those chills. Like mm-hmm. I know a lot of people had an issue with um, the Force Awakens. Oh right, the yeah. the most recent one. Yeah, I loved it because it felt like oh, we're back in the Star Wars world. We're using a lot yep. more practical effects. It's not all CG. It's you know this is this is working and yeah it was yeah it's kind of familiar an orphan on a desert planet and we're gonna go you know we're fighting a death star but still it just it gave me the 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 feels and it was it took me in a direction that wanted to go again especially after i would say the you know the 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 prequels they weren't my favorite (laughs) yeah yeah you know i you know you say attack of the clones i'm like the phantom menace when he was a kid was a little too twee for me and then it turns into this weird <laughs> older woman younger man thing with him and padme so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like right. suddenly suddenly he hits puberty and she hasn't aged <laughs> yeah well i i've been revisiting revenge of the sith recently uh mainly because i've been mentioning the score i've been listening to the score a lot the john williams okay. uh orchestration for it and uh it is of the prequel movies it is a standout film i mean there are some once again there are some cringy george lucas things in there because oh, yeah. he, he's not good at doing romance Dialogue. or particular <laughs> for yeah 
particular kinds of, I mean, there are a few, the cringy things in Revenge of the Sith, in fact, most of the prequels, the cringy things are the dialogue lines. I mean, there's just yeah. some like, like who writes that shit? Yeah. Uh, but overall, I, I just, I love the story. I'm going to get really off on a tangent here. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop no, myself I, here, but I'll, I'll, I'll say the other thing about the Revenge of the Sith, the reason it gets, why we find redeeming qualities in it. Cause we, we mm. watched all of them before um, the um, force awakens came out again. And in revenge of the Sith, as you get closer to the end, you start seeing starships that you recognize appear. Yeah. And you start seeing things that are familiar to you again. And you're reminded at the very end of that, like what it was about Star Wars that you liked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a big reason why Revenge of the Sith works. And mm-hmm. I think it's a big reason why um, Rogue Rogue One worked so well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because we're, we're getting close to that world that we know. And especially you get to that end where you see like a young Leia in her um, in her wasn't it called like the Corellian Cadillac was the name of her? Oh yeah. The hammerhead Corvette. I think that was yeah. one of them. And then that one was the Tantive four. I think that's the name yeah. of Princess Leia's ship that we also see at the beginning of a new hope. Right. Uh, yeah. Like those are just, you know, like at the end of you, 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 you start to get those moments and you're like, Oh yeah, this is the, Oh yeah. You're hitting that sweet spot for me right there. <laughs> and that's what, you know what people hated rise of Skywalker, which was the last of the sequel series. And I actually really appreciated it because in fact, my review to my brother was, Oh my God, it's like a feast of star Wars. There are so many star Wars things in this. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. And if you apply, if you look at rise of Skywalker, like an Indiana Jones treasure hunt movie, then it starts to make sense. I think one of the problems with Rise of Skywalker is I think people were expecting the typical Star Wars story structure where it was going to kind of mimic Return of the Jedi in a sense. It was going to have echoes of that story uh, structure. And when it didn't, when it was more of a treasure hunt kind of thing, like we get this MacGuffin in order to find this other MacGuffin in order to get to this other place, which is very Indiana Jones. Um, yeah when you start to see it that way, it starts to make a little more sense. But Mm -hmm. again, it's subjective. Ultimately, I don't care if everyone hates Rise of Skywalker. I enjoy watching it, and that's all that matters. We don't always have to proselytize our very subjective tastes. It doesn't always... we don't have to hate other people for liking something different than us. Right, yes. And that note is the perfect note to uh, end our conversation this month. Thank you so much, Thank you Travis. so much. I'm sorry. we you were, you were ready to wrap up, and I just made us go a half hour longer. Oh, I don't care. We could. <laughs> if it was up to me, we'd go another hour and a half. Uh, but, yeah, and I certainly have more things to talk about. But uh, where can people find you? Is there anything you want to promote at this point? Uh, we, um, yeah. Not promoting anything yet, but I'm going to be soon. And uh, you can find me at The Real T-Bone on Twitter. That's my main one. Um, I do post um uh at trav prime on instagram and then i also have at uh the one number one um and only t-bone um right. trav prime is just pictures of little lego dudes running around having fun <laughs> which i love it, that's one of my just, favorite instagram follows yeah just just if you want something just to like you know pop up in the middle of your timeline that's just just makes you laugh or giggle a little mm-hmm. bit <laughs> the Trav Prime is just it's it's nice. It's just it's 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 my happy place. It's my and Dylan rolls his eyes at me when I take them out whenever we're like traveling somewhere and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go pose Legos, I'll be back. <laughs> 
awesome. And then, of course, you're on a little radio program called the Stephanie yes, Miller the Show. Yes, the Stephanie Miller morning. Show. Yeah, Everyone Stephanie knows Miller. that. Because yeah. <laughs> if you don't know that about me, you don't know anything about me. <laughs> right, yeah. If you've been listening to the last hour and a half and you didn't know anything about Stephanie Miller, where the hell have you been? Okay. Uh, well, although Stephanie Miller will listen to this episode and not know anything about anything that we've just talked about. <laughs> I know. I know. But that's one of the reasons I love her. So, okay. Yes. Well, thank right, you so thanks, much, Bob. my friend. We'll talk to you next time. All right. You have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's 2 a.m. and you're up again Holding my bags, I just checked in Said I'd call as soon as I land Another city, another town Toys almost ending with these shows out